welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Today, I decided to do something more enlightening, positive. It came as a request or a question from one of the listeners by the name of Kate Elizabeth, and she suggested or asked if I could do some more positive episodes. I thought that was an amazing idea. In fact, I had thought about it myself before wondering, you know, with all the negative episodes, we've got the Karen and Urka show, which is pretty silly, but I should be covering some medical heroes. So today that's who I'm going to be uh, covering. And these two women, one is a nurse and one is a doctor, had a significant impact on medicine. So let's get started. First, I want to start with Mary Eliza Mahoney. She was the first African-American licensed nurse. She was born in the spring of 1845 in Boston, Massachusetts. Her parents were freed slaves who had moved to Boston from North Carolina. Mahoney learned from an early age the importance of racial equality. She was educated at Phillips School in Boston, which after 1855 became one of the first integrated schools in the country. When she was in her teens, Mahoney knew that she wanted to become a nurse, so she began working at the New England Hospital for Women and Children. This was an exceptional school for many reasons, but among the most important was that it provided health care only to women and their children. And incredibly, it had an all-woman staff of physicians. Mahoney worked there for 15 years in a variety of roles. She acted as a janitor, a cook, and a washerwoman. But more importantly, she was able to work as a nurse's aide, enabling her to learn a great deal about the nursing profession. The New England Hospital for Women and Children operated one of the first nursing programs in the United States. In 1878, at the age of 33, Mahoney was admitted to the school's professional graduate school for nursing. This was an intensive program that ran for 16 months. The students attended lectures and gained first-hand experience in the hospital. Many students were unable to complete the program because it was so intensive, so grueling. Out of 42 students that entered the program in 1878, only four completed in 1879. Mahoney was one of those women who finished the program, making her the first African-American in the U.S. to earn a professional nursing license. After finishing her training, Mahoney decided not to follow a career in public nursing due to the overwhelming discrimination often encountered there. Surprise, surprise. Instead, she pursued a career as a private nurse to focus on the care needs of individual clients. Her patients were mostly wealthy white families who lived up and down the East Coast. She was known for her efficiency, patience, and caring bedside manner. Mahoney was also an active participant in the nursing profession. In 1896, she joined the Nurses Associated Alumni of the United States and Canada, which became known as the American Nurses Association, ANA. Not surprisingly, 
the NAAUSC consisted mainly of white nurses, which were not always welcoming to black nurses. Mahoney felt that a group was needed which advocated for the equality of African-American nurses. In 1908, she co-founded the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses, NACGN. In the following year at the NACGN's first national convention, she gave the opening speech. At the convention, the organization's members elected Mahoney to be the national chaplain and gave her a lifetime membership. After decades as a private nurse, Mahoney became the director of the Howard Orphanage Asylum for Black Children in Kings Park, Long Island, in New York City. She served as the director from 1911 to 1912. She finally retired from nursing after 40 years in the profession. However, she continued to champion for women's rights. After the 19th Amendment was ratified in August 1920, Mahoney was among the first women who registered to vote in Boston. Mahoney lived until she was 80. After three years of battling breast cancer, she died on January 4, 1926. She was buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in Everett, Massachusetts. Mahoney's pioneering spirit has been recognized with numerous awards and memorials. In 1936, the National Association for Colored Graduate Nurses founded the Mary Mahoney Ward in honor of her achievements. I hate what some of these organizations were called uh, back in the day, but uh, excuse me for using words like colored. I, I hate it, but uh, this is what they were called. So um, I'm, I'm going to with, uh, with regret, but it does not diminish the achievements of Mary Mahoney. So this award was given to nurses or groups of nurses who promote integration within their field. This award continues to be awarded today by the ANA. The ANA further honored Mahoney in 1976 by inducting her to the Hall of Fame. Mahoney joined other esteemed women in this group in 1993 when she was inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls, New York. Mahoney's grave in Everett, Massachusetts has become a memorial site. In 1973, Helen S. Miller, winner of the Mahoney Award in 1968, led a fundraising drive to erect a monument to Mahoney at the gravesite. Her efforts were all supported by the National Sorority for Professional and Student Nurses, Chai Ada Phi, and the ANA. The memorial was completed in 1973 and stands as a testament to Mahoney's legacy. Thank you, Mary Eliza Mahoney, for everything you did. You stand for what nursing should be, and nursing is all about, for women, most importantly, African-American women. She truly is a medical hero. The next person I want to talk about is Dr. Audrey Evans. This woman, ah, you know what? I'm just going to play a clip so you can hear her a little bit, and then I'll go on from there. God, that's why I came to Philadelphia, to take care of children with cancer. Because at the time I came, there wasn't much else you could do but care. Dr. Audrey Evans was a world-renowned pediatric oncologist whose career spanned over 60 years. Her work impacted the lives of millions around the world. 
Dr. Evans has treated more than a thousand neuroblastoma patients during her illustrious career as the world-renowned oncologist and neuroblastoma researcher at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. She has been called the mother of neuroblastoma, but she said that there is no greater evidence of progress than the kind that walks up to you and gives you a hug. In 2011, Dr. Evans attended a going-away party for a U.S. Naval commander she treated for neuroblastoma almost 40 years ago, at the age of four. The female officer was shipping out to Kuwait for a year. Here's a quote from Dr. Evans. It's pretty nice to hear somebody you knew 30 years ago and who was living from the help you gave her. Through all her achievements, she wanted to be known for one thing. Audrey Evans, a woman who cared. Audrey Evans was born in 1925 in New York, England. She was the youngest of three children born to a middle-class family. She was the youngest of three. From the tender age of five, she said she wanted to be a doctor, and her parents supported the dream. They believed that men and women were equal. She attended a Quaker school before heading to a boarding school in Bristol, England, and she attended that school until the beginning of World War II and went home and attended the Mount School in York, England. During her senior year, she developed tuberculosis and missed a lot of school. Audrey Evans trained at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh in early 1950s. She was the only female student in the medical school. Dr. Evans stated that she struggled during her first year of medical school because, quote, I never excelled in school because I have a memory problem. Most people learn things from what they read, and I remember things by what I hear. This led to her feeling anatomy in her first year, but it didn't stop her. She received tutoring and learned visually by studying the pictures of the body. Dr. Evans stated that this carried on until she began clinical, working directly with patients. This is where she excelled. She was an amazing communicator and would bridge the gap between doctors and patients. Audrey finished her degree in 1953. She then went to Boston's Children's Hospital for two years for her residency on a prestigious Fulbright Fellowship. She trained under pathologist and leukemia specialist, Dr. Sidney Farber, who is known as the father of modern chemotherapy. Then, in 1955, she spent one year at Johns Hopkins, then headed back to England to work at the Royal Infirmary Teaching Hospital, where she was the only female resident. Instead of being intimidated, she said that she never found it hard, that it was more amusing. Even though it was challenging at times, she took it in stride and focused on her education and training. This really would have taken those doctors aback because women were considered inferior. After completing her residency, she went back to Boston's Children's Hospital, where she found her true calling, treating children with cancer. In 1964, she took her passion for pediatric oncology to the Hematology Oncology Unit at the University of Chicago. Five years later, she was recruited by C. Everett Koop, the former Surgeon General of the U.S., as the first chief of pediatric oncology at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and she founded the Children's Cancer Center. She remained there for the rest of her career. She took a total care approach. She wanted to meet the needs of the children's mind, body, and spirit, and she also provided support for their families. Dr. Evans knew that a lot of children she treated were going to die, and she found it important to talk to the children and their families about dying, to help them grieve, to try to take some of the fear away. In the early days of clinical research, Dr. Evans was responsible for some of the first trials of what are today's leading chemotherapy agents such as dactamycin 
and vincistrine. In 1971, Dr. Evans developed the revolutionary Evans staging system, which analyzes cancer progression to determine the best treatment plans for children battling neuroblastoma, which is one of the most common solid tumors in childhood cancer. This is how it works. After someone is diagnosed with neuroblastoma, doctors will try to figure out if it has spread and if so, how far. The process is called staging. The stage of a child's neuroblastoma describes how much cancer is in the body. Staging is used to help determine how serious the cancer is and how best to treat it. For neuroblastoma, several other factors are looked into along with the child's stage to decide what risk group the child falls into. A risk group is an overall picture of how a child's neuroblastoma will respond to treatment and helps doctors select the treatments that might work best. Doctors also use neuroblastoma risk groups when talking about survival and statistics. There are two systems used for neuroblastoma staging today. The main difference between the two systems is whether the staging system can be used to help determine a child's risk group before the treatment has started. And the International Neuroblastoma Risk Group Staging System uses results from imaging, such as CT, MRI, to help decide the stage. The International Neuroblastoma Staging System can be determined before the treatment is started and usually results from surgery to remove a child's tumor instead of just imaging tests. She has been credited for decreasing mortality rates by 50% for neuroblastoma patients, earning her the moniker mother of neuroblastoma. Today, neuroblastoma has a better than 85% survival rate in the early stage and dramatically improved odds of remission for patients with advanced stage or more aggressive form of the disease. If that is not incredible enough, in 1974, Dr. Evans and Jim Murray, the former general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, co-founded the Philadelphia Ronald McDonald House, the first in the world, which led to the creation of Ronald McDonald House charities to provide lodging, resources, and care to children and families in need. Since opening, Ronald McDonald House charities now span more than 63 countries and have more than 360 locations and have served over 7 million families and counting. Ronald McDonald House Charities have also opened camps, hospitality rooms and hospital wings, and are launching Ronald McDonald Care Mobiles, which are mobile units used to serving communities that don't yet have Ronald McDonald House programs. She just blows my mind. This, this woman's incredible. So awards she's received because of her excellent and compassionate care of sick children and their families and her significant contributions to pediatric cancer research. Dr. Evans has been recognized for many awards. In 1976, she was presented the prestigious Janeway Medal of American Radium Society. In 1989, her many admirers initiated a drive that established the Audrey E. Evans Chair in Pediatric Oncology at CHOP. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In 1994, Dr. Evans shared the National Humanitarian Award with former First Lady Barbara Bush, and Dr. Evans was also presented with the Sarah Lee Foundation Frontrunner Award in the Humanities of 1985, and she won many, many more. Dr. Evans made time to enjoy other things in life, like horseback riding, scuba diving, and sheep farming. I mean, is there nothing this woman could do? After 40 years at the age of 80, she married the love of her life, an esteemed physician, Dr. Dan Danjo. They got married at 7 o'clock, 
had croissants, coffee and juice, and then went to work for 8.30. She retired in 2009 at the age of 84, but it wasn't easy. In 2011, she co-founded St. James School, a school that aims to break the cycle of poverty by providing under-resourced youth with an extended school year. On April 25, 2017, the world lost a true hero. Dr. Evans was 93 years old and continued doing the work she loved well into her 90s. Her light will always shine, and all the children she saved, as well as the children now and in the future who will benefit from her dedication and kindness. So, these two women were absolutely incredible and changed the face of nursing, and I'm very pleased to present these two incredible ladies. In fact, I think I'm going to carry on on, them on a medical hero series so we can have some light in this podcast and bring some light to this world and to our day. So thank you for listening, and remember to take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.